Okay, so we've started our seeds and we've gone over everything you need to do to be successful. Maybe you already have a garden or you want a new one. Well, today you're in luck because we're going to talk about how to start a garden and build a garden from scratch. And it's your boy and your girl, Ben and Batavia. Hey, good people. To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Welcome to the Backyard Gardens podcast, a companion podcast to the upcoming documentary Backyard Gardens the Movie, a story about two families growing their first gardens in a world that lacks nutrition. I'm your host and director, Ben Neville. Okay, so what you got for us, Batavia? So I feel like my professional job should be building a garden because I'm always looking for an opportunity to build one out. Um, Ben describes my garden space as like I have multiple gardens, which is kind of funny. I do raised bed gardening. And so while I have over 10 raised beds, he calls them individual gardens, like every raised bed is a garden. And so (laughs) using that theme, I am actually building a new garden this spring, right? Uh, So I'm adding a raised bed. And I'll talk a lot about raised bed gardening because that's what I do, but that's not the only style of gardening. You know, it's really about having some soil to plant something in. So wherever that is, is fine. Um, But one of the first things you want to think about is what you want to grow because that's going to determine the type of garden that you have. And I'd recommend if you're starting out new to keep it super simple. And we're going to help you understand what simple is. Um, Preach it. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I kind of look at what do you want to eat or what do you want to use for, you know, your meals. Um, A lot of people, and Ben is of this uh, camp, think that kind of herb gardens are are a good start. I I agree with that. I think that that's a really good start. It's, you know, a lot of reward you can gain from that. Um, I'm also a big fan of vegetables. Um, So with that in mind, I'm inclined to say put a tomato plant in the ground, right? But whatever you want to plant, think about what you or your family is going to eat. Um, Think about what you want to see growing. And that kind of dictates what type of garden you're going to start with. So once you figure that out, and I'm going to give you a first couple of steps and then let Ben chime in. Once you figure that out, you kind of have to look at the space you have and then determine where you want to put that garden. Um, So generally speaking, and I think we do cover shady areas later on in a later episode, like gardening in the shade. But generally speaking, what you're growing wants sun. So think about how much sun. It depends on what you're growing. So generally full sun, which could be anywhere between 10 and 12 hours. I may next week say 12 to 14 hours, but somewhere in that, that range. Well, let me ask you a question. What, sure. um, in the middle of summer, when does your uh, sun go down? Like, you know, the longest day of the year? Yeah, it's the um, sometime in June, right? Right. It's June yeah. 21st. Do you know what time your sun goes down then? Eight. 29. I just made that up. I actually okay. have a, oh. uh, a link <laughs> to that, right? Um, so it's somewhere in the eight o'clock hour. Why do okay. you ask? Well, the reason why I ask is because when I lived in New England and I had this like aha moment, mm-hmm. you know, I like to grow hot peppers, but when we would, you know, it never really got very hot up there mm-hmm. and we had a really short summer, but at the same time, it didn't get dark until almost 10 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so I thought about it, and as I put two and two together, I was like, oh, you can still grow a lot of things because the sun stays up so much longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was interesting to me to think about was the fact that, you know, that was a difference. So I was wondering, because you're farther north, and I know it's more, you know, when I lived up there, I was more east. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, east. I had to think in my head. But anyways, <laughs> so sorry I to interrupt. Have, no, 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 because the Internet is a wonderful <laughs> thing. The longest day of the year for us here um, in Illinois and the Midwest and Chicago in particular is the 21st, as you mentioned, for everyone. But it's 829 p.m. So sun rises at 515 and sets at 829. So that's just over 15 hours of okay. daylight for that longest day. And uh, I think full sun is considered 
six or six to eight hours. Yeah, you're right about when you see them on the plants and all, at least yeah. six to eight hours of sun. Um, so thank you for the correction, Ben. So you're in luck, people. <laughs> you only need six to eight <laughs> hours of sun. Um, but the more sun, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've covered off on what type of garden that you want. And don't put a whole lot of thought into it. Don't stress a whole lot. You know, every type of gardening or style has a name, but you can absolutely mix different things. So if you want to grow some herbs and a tomato plant, that's fine by us. Uh, So we have that covered off. We want to kind of think about where there's a sunny spot, um, whether it's in your backyard, whether it's near your porch, away from your porch, whether it's on your porch, because maybe you're going to do some container gardening, or if you're going to take a step out like me and start a garden in the front yard, I commend you. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we want to cover off on the place. Um, and so then we're actually going to get into the steps that you'll take to put that idea into motion. So I'm going right. to tag you in here. So once you get the place figured out, um, I usually start, well, first of all, let's talk about when to figure out that place mm-hmm. because I'm guilty of this. And I just talked about this on a YouTube video was, um, and by the way, before I get started, uh, if you ever want to see Batavia's and what I have now coined as an industrial garden, <laughs> you could check out her YouTube channel at Be Better Gardens and you'll see. And I, I love it. I think it's great. And it goes so well with the Chicago and everything. So it's really cool. But anyways, if you look at it, if you're sitting there in the wintertime and you're looking out and you're like, oh, I want to put a garden over here. Remember that the way the the sun the earth orbits the sun in the winter time the sun is actually lower so you're not getting the full picture of where the sun is in the summertime over your house unless you live somewhere in down south you know way down south where it never freezes but keep that in mind because I've had issues with that where I put up something and then as a as the summer comes, the sun moves a little bit mm-hmm. and it gets higher in the sky. And all of a sudden I have, I have too much sun cause we get really hot and that's an issue. But just starting with that, that is where you need to figure out how much sun you need. And then it's what kind of garden you want. So a container garden, an in ground garden, a raised bed garden, a vertical garden, a square foot garden, there's all kinds of different kinds you want and let that be to how much space you want to have in your yard taken up by it. You know, for me, I wouldn't mind if my whole yard was nothing but gardens. Here, here. <laughs> but I have a septic system, so I can't put a garden right on top of it. So that's an issue that I have to deal with. But that being said, I do. And everybody should know this by now because I talk about them all the time. But I have four in-ground beds so far. And then I have one in-ground bed for vet and all this is just for vegetables. And then other than that, that's, you know, and I might do something in a container here or there, but for me, I don't choose containers because it gets too hot and the watering requirements are too much. But when I lived in new England, it was fine. You know, you only get like a couple weeks of really hot weather so we could keep up with the watering. So that's a big thing to think about. So, Pause there, the container gardening um, and your how warm it gets, like you're talking about, and how much you'll have to water is really key. Um, So I did a bit of container gardening a couple of years ago, and I used one of our cost savings tips that we covered in the last episode, and I had a bunch of free buckets. Those were my containers. And I struggled with keeping everything watered that was in those containers. Right. generally were growing okay, um, but it was really hard for me to stay on top of that. Um, So when we talk about kind of the type of garden that you want, consider how much you want to invest as far as time as well, right? You know, so there are your conditions. We don't want to make this overly complicated. And that's why you kind of, you know, I think we probably both started off with one garden, you know, by Ben's definition of what a garden is made of, right? You know, so that's a really good place to start because uh, it also allows you to make adjustments. I'm 
actually pro container gardening because it's easy for you to fit a container in. And to Ben's point, when it comes to the space you may choose to put that container, it allows you, generally speaking, to move it. If you found that, you know, it's here in February or March and you think, oh, that's a nice sunny spot. You're kind of thinking about what you remember from last summer. And once everything arrives here in the spring, you have your container planted. What if you realize that it isn't the sunniest spot or it's not your veggies aren't getting as much sun as you may want? A container garden generally would allow you to kind of shift. Maybe it's on the other side of your porch. Uh, that's a better spot. Um, so I'm definitely. And that's a good learning tool. Gardening. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And when you noticed you couldn't keep up with your watering, though, at what point during the growing season did you notice that you were having you were struggling really hard with that? It was probably around August, and that's one of the hottest months for us, you know, here in Chicago in Zone Six. So this is what I would say. I would say what probably happened was your plants got really big and you had too many roots inside of your pot. So because I started off with uh, five gallon buckets as well. But through the course of filming the movie, I talked to a lady. um, Her name's Lisa Rayburn and she works with the North Carolina State Agricultural um, Department And she was telling me that she doesn't, you know, because I was like, well, five gallon bucket is perfect container. And she was like, no, you need much bigger than that because it allows and you don't I mean, it's and I'm not saying that you cannot get uh, produce out of a five gallon bucket container. But for the health of the plant and longevity of life, it needs to be a bigger container. Mm-hmm. And then that will allow for the roots to kind of fill it up and all that. Because if you take it out, did you take out the plant at the end of the year and look at the roots? I took it out, but I probably didn't look at the roots. Right. Well, yeah. you probably didn't think about it at the time. Mm-hmm. But my guess would be that it's um, it's very it was filled up because when I do my bonsai, it's the same thing. That as that's how you know when you repot when you have to water all the time, all the time, mm-hmm. and you're actually your plant will lift out of that container. So, and I see people do it all the time with smaller containers and there's no problem with it, but just know that your plant will not be as happy in a smaller container. Yeah, that's such a good um, connection to, and it's a lesson that I learned last year. I have two comments. So first, um, if I think back, now I don't know if I'm 100% signed onto that theory. However, I have evidence that could support it. So we'll start there. Okay. So um, I did that year um, a tomato plant. Um, I did a cucumber plant and I did things like um, with lettuce and Swiss chard, right? And so when I think about tomato plants and their root system, which is one of the plants that I struggled with in the container in the five gallon buckets, and they may have even been like four gallon when I think right. back. Um, the leafy greens did really well because we know that they don't have in those instances of lettuce and things really uh, extensive root systems. So if I look back, I can actually see the, um, and I actually sowed those from seed. The the Swiss chard actually thrived in the bucket, no problem whatsoever. Um, but I probably got one cucumber. And again, I, I know that people have success, but I do think Ben has a point when it comes to considering the size you use. I was just checking. I did um, prep for a little bit more container gardening. Um, and I think I went up to like 20 gallons. Now those are grow bags though. I think either 15 or 20 gallons is what I ordered. Um, and last year I started with flowers, but this year I'm actually going to plant some veggies in those, but it was with that in the back of my mind, like feeling like I needed more room to Mm -hmm. grow. It's better to have more room than get a plant in the ground and realize you don't have enough room. So second point, um, is, when we're planning our garden and you're thinking about the space and you're thinking about the type of garden that you want and Ben named a few different options, there's also some consideration that you have to give to what the plant will look like when it's fully matured. Right. Yes. So, and that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. So um, if you're just starting out, you may not be starting with seeds And that's totally fine. If you're going to a store, one of the big box stores or a nursery or a garden center, and you're buying a little bitty baby plant that you're going to put into your garden, 
I mean, I guess maybe if you're, there's some herbs that will be about that size, but most things are designed to grow bigger. Way and bigger. when you're planting your space, you, you kind of have to kind of consider um, how much space that plant will need when it's its largest size, because that's going to determine one, how many things you're going to plant in that space in your garden, and then two, the types of things as well. Um, and so even with all of my years of gardening, I still fall guilty of this, you know, not yeah. necessarily considering it. Um, there's a little bit of fun in it because sometimes when you grow things for the first time, you don't have that experience. Um, but just keep it in mind as a consideration um, because you want to give your plants the best chance to grow and thrive. Well, you want to give them space. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I, to this day, I still struggle with space. Mm-hmm. I used to overpack and now I underpack my, my spaces, uh-huh. my gardens. So, you know, and when you get, and a lot of people, when they first start, they'll start with the bedding plants, the seed starts, mm-hmm. and they'll put those in. And you put them in and there are these little itty bitty tiny things. You're like, oh, I can fit more in. But the packaging will give you the spacing and they give you that for a reason. Mm -hmm. And the way that I was told that is if you crowd your plants, you might, yes, you might have more tomato plants in, but one tomato plant could will probably give you the same amount as two tomato plants if they're overcrowded. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's something that's really hard for me to kind of wrap my head around. And it's amazing to me, too, that that's that's how it works. Yeah, I generally overplant, um, And it's that same thing. Even once you've learned that lesson, it's still very tempting to your point. Most everything you put in the ground is going to be pretty small. And especially if you're sowing seeds directly into the ground because it's just a seed. Right. right. Yeah. So um, I have been victim of overplanting. And so if you've been victim of underplanting, is that a connection to some of the problems you've had with weeds growing? So there's a lot of space, a lot of soil that's exposed. And yeah. Grow weeds. I would say that. And, and I have to, um, I realized something the other day when I told you I made the confession that I wasn't using mulch, that was not a complete truth. I've been using, um, bales of hay. Oh, okay. Okay. As mulch. Um, not as much as I should, but I had been using that. But like the problem that I had last year was in my in ground bed was it was a fully wooded place before not wooded it was um i had i don't know what it is i'm not an expert in certain um plants that grow but there were like knee high some kind of plant that grows in the woods and we had to clear it out but then afterwards what i did is i tilled everything mm. and when you till what'll happen is you have a lot of the things that went to seed and the seeds will get buried and they'll just die. But when I tilted it, it turned it all up to the surface. And I think it activated everything that had ever been dropped on the ground all at once. So, and you know, tilling has been, and I've done a lot of research on this and I go back and forth and I kind of digress a little bit, but tilling is not the best thing for your garden, Yeah. you know, but for this instance, I decided it was because it was virgin soil, essentially, you know, I had to get the roots out of it and all that stuff. But um, I think that was the real problem I had. This year will be, you know, we'll see. We've done some calculations, so we're prepared to drop the money to get the mulch this year. Okay, because but, I was I was struggling with not judging you for not mulching, you know, an experienced gardener <laughs> like yourself. So um, I'm still struggling with it. I actually, we'll we'll come back around to that. I did an experiment with um, straw versus mm-hmm. mulch or wood chips as mulch in my garden beds last uh, summer. And I'll share a bit later with you kind of what I found with that. But let's backtrack a bit. So the different types of gardens. So our point one was type of a garden that you want. Uh, Point two was the area you want to have your garden in. But let's go back to point one. So in-ground garden. Describe that for for us, Ben. I mean, it's literally... A garden in the ground. All you do, and this is a thing about gardening that I can't stress enough when people are like, I can't start a garden, I can't start a garden. All you got to do is dig a hole and you got a garden. It's the easiest way to start a garden. There's no cost. There's already soil that the big man upstairs provided for us. 
and all you have to do is stick a plan in it. Mm-hmm. So that's the easiest way. Mm-hmm. But what are the downfalls of an in-ground bed? Well, one is weed control, plain and simple, because everything is at ground level and it's the same soil that's always been there. And so you have weed control issues mm-hmm. and you'll you tend to get you tend to get more weeds and also um, pests, meaning mammals, squirrels, chipmunks, rabbits, whatever. You know, if it's down at ground level, there's absolutely nothing to deter them from getting in there and having a little snack on what you've worked so hard for. That being said, a raised bed does not eliminate that at all. No. It might slow it down. I would, if I had to give a percentage, I'd say about 5%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's very just going to happen. Here. Very scientific here. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's one of those things. So, you know, that's an in-ground bed. And there's nothing easier than starting an in-ground bed. But there is a little bit more maintenance with them. So, so I would say in ground bed compared to a raised bed where you have some material that generally people will put on the ground. So that same space where Ben is digging the hole, you'll have some people that will put um, generally a lot of people use wood, but you can use anything that can hold soil. Correct. If you lay that on top of the ground where that's native soil is, if you will, Um, an advantage of the raised bed. And again, remember, I'm a fan of raised beds is that you can bring soil in. So you have to kind of weigh that because what Ben is talking about is digging a hole using native soil. So there's no real expense. You may add a couple of things in as you're planting, but you have what you need there as it relates to soil. Um, a raised bed also allows you to amend the soil, as we say, right? You know, So it allows right. you to bring uh, perhaps a, a bit of soil in that's a bit more... Um, um, productive for your garden. So for Chicago, for me, my lot actually in the backyard has some pretty good soil. And I grew in that as a, you know, in-ground garden for years and years. My front yard is what Ben described. When I started digging that up, the amount of weeds and roots, because that was all grass originally, was a challenge. Um, so again, there are a couple of different options here. I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the terminology we were using. Container gardens may speak for their, themselves, a container that you're going to put soil in and right. grow, you know. But that's the same. A container garden is an, essentially the same idea as the raised bed where you can add your own soil or you could just get soil out of the ground and put in as well. But it gives you that option to amend it. And let me go back. I just had a thought and I don't want to I don't want to leave any stone unturned on this one. When you start a garden bed, not a container, but a garden bed in ground or raised, a lot of people recommend double digging. And are you familiar with double digging, Batavia? I don't think I've heard of it. I don't I've not heard of that term, but maybe I understand the concept. So essentially what you do is you dig, like, I'm going to keep it simple. You dig two feet down, turn the soil, and then you dig four feet down and turn that soil. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get all that fresh soil up from the bottom. And you should technically do the same thing if you do a raised bed. Mm -hmm. And that will get you off to a perfect start. And there's a book that I've recommended a hundred thousand times, and I'm going to do it another four trillion times on this podcast by Barbara Pleasant <laughs> called the uh, Beginner's uh, Vegetable Garden Book, I believe. And um, she talks about that. And there's ways to start a garden. And I actually did one of the methods where I wanted to do a raised bed. But she says to get a bag of soil from the store a big bag of soil and you cut the top completely off but you leave the sides on Mm -hmm. and then you take a long screwdriver and you poke through to make drainage holes and you put those inside of what will be your bed the next year and then you start with that Mm -hmm. and you plant inside that and then the next year you pull the all that plastic out and then you have that soil there to give you a good start and what it'll do is it'll help smother the weeds and stuff like that so that's like you know and i did that at one point I did that, 
but I didn't do it the second time. And I, I wish I would have, cause I had more success the last yeah. time I did it. Because I'm in this for the long haul. I actually, when I bring new soil in, so I've not done the method of the double dig. Um, I only have, you know, kind of dug so far down when it came to turning my soil over um, for my in-ground beds and uh, truth moment for my raised beds. I'm always just loading soil in and going from there. <laughs> um, but for um, when it comes to the new soil that I've added or the soil that I've turned over, I generally have low expectations that first year. So if I'm planting in it for that first year, you know, it's a balance of what nutrients you've added, you know, kind of what has the, what vegetables have kind of fed that soil as well. So while I don't expect to feed the block that first year, you know, I, I have seen that the second year round, again, that soil has been worked a bit more, um, that my veggies thrive a little bit more. So, um, I still have right. one more bed to build. So maybe I will do a bit of double digging with this one out front. I feel like I've prepped the area already. So we'll see if I have the, the courage to dig further I, down. <laughs> You're going to highlight. I've never it. double dug. <laughs> so so this is I a, just, and I said this, to, I said this when I first started saying that, that this is recommended. I didn't <laughs> say by me. <laughs> but I've read this in a lot of places. I have not double dug. So let's talk about starting a raised bed. Mm. And when you do a raised bed, there's a few things that, um, that I want to point out. And one is it doesn't have to be the most magnificently beautiful thing you've ever done. Okay. <clears throat> it should be, it should have some depth to it. But the benefit of a raised bed is, as long as you're putting it on bare ground, meaning not concrete or something is even though you have your bed, the plants can still go below that bed and get more soil if they need it. Okay. The one downfall with the raised bed is they are a little bit harder to keep um, watered in the summertime compared to an in-ground bed. Agreed. There's a little bit more evaporation mm -hmm. uh, involved in that. But when you do it, at bare minimum, you should pull up all of your grass. And what I did is I actually took my shovel and I marked out where I was going to put my bed. And I took my shovel and I just skimmed off the top layer of everything and just got down to just straight soil. And in the last um, YouTube video I did, which by the time you're listening, this is probably a few ago, I actually did that on camera because I was starting a new bed, mm -hmm. but this one's an in-ground flower bed. And all I did, cause I knew it was just like a, a couple spotty pieces of grass and stuff. I just shaved off that top layer, but you want to get your top, your soil prepared. And then what I like to do and correct me and um, let me know if you do this, Batavia is I put cardboard down mm -hmm. and yeah, to so smother. I've done that for like half and half of my newer beds and it's the, I ran out of cardboard. Um, so, but to smother the weeds is where you were going to go, right? Yeah. Because all I do is order off Amazon. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not blessed enough. Well, on one aspect, I'm not blessed to live where I'm close to all these big box stores where I can get everything. So we order a lot of stuff off Amazon mm -hmm. and all those boxes, we just put those in our garden. Yeah, you know, yeah. you rip off all the plastic and stuff like that and it will disintegrate over time and then your plants will be able to punch through it if they need to. I think it takes, I think mine were there this after the first year and I think now they are gone mm -hmm. and there's no more. And then you have a good base to smother them. And then as far as building your bed, that's up to you what you want it to look like. Now you're getting into aesthetics. So mine are rectangle because I was like, I'm tired. I got a young child. I want to go surfing, but I need to make my garden. So I got four pieces of wood. And to be specific, I think I got four or the, the board sizes were... Um, two by tens and then I just cut those and into two four foot sides and two eight foot sides and then I screwed them together mm -hmm. and it took me about 15 minutes to build a bed yeah. that was it you know and I didn't want to put a whole lot into it because it's a garden yeah you know what I mean yeah my my measurements I built a four by four um 
foot bed last year and I have two um, notes on that. So my um, raised beds are no taller than 10 inches, um, maybe yeah. a foot, maybe 12 inches total. But there are two things with that. I actually have, um, and this was some trial and error, I actually have a couple of raised beds that sit on concrete that are 10 inches high. And there's a big asterisk around that. I've grown a lot of food in them, uh, but there's some things that will not be successful there. And those really kind of tie into what really needs deep roots right? What has a deep root system? So I've tried growing tomato plants on in that 10 inch bed. So basically 10 inches of of soil and then there's concrete. So that's all it has to live in. And those tomato plants did not make it. Um, And that's an example of tomatoes need to dig deeper to get to all of that that they need to support their uh, their root system. Um, So the raised beds like Ben is describing generally will be sitting on more soil so if you're going you know two by ten there's 10 inches of uh of wood then if they need more than that there's soil underneath that 10 inches that you added right um so so yeah don't swear off growing on concrete but there's one of the things you have to consider it ties back to what you want to grow and what that particular veggie or flower or what have you needs right from a soil perspective and if you have to think about it think about it this way like if you're growing a vegetable that like a, a tomato or a squash or something like that what is the actual vegetable itself comprised of water right? Mm -hmm. So where does the water come from? How does it get the water, the roots? Where do the roots go? They go into the ground. Well, if they can't dig deeper, then they can't get and make the fruits that they need as well as feed the plants. But stuff like lettuce and kale and all that, they don't, I mean, they are water, but they don't have to produce these huge tomatoes Mm -hmm. and these huge, you know, vegetables So there is a benefit of both, but I'm like, you don't write off concrete, but then the other question should be, why not remove the concrete? Oh, see now you're just other than cost, (laughs) but I'm just saying like in general, well, truth be told, I, before I went to the front yard for my uh, veggie garden, I had considered it. And for me, it just felt like I didn't put the concrete patio down in my case, but it was still in such good shape. And I just felt like, am I really being the responsible homeowner by digging up this, you know, concrete to put down more garden beds? And I'll be honest, if I didn't go to the front yard, if I didn't feel like I had the front yard to grow in, it probably would have ended up being that. Um, So, but if we're looking at a starter garden, right, your first garden, keeping things simple, um, we're at, you know, a small either in-ground garden or a small raised bed garden, right? Right. Um, I love the explanation of, you know, what do plants need? And they need water. And it's funny because, you know, I think we innately know this, but sometimes it doesn't come across. When you're watering your, you know, indoor plants, your house plants, watering your flowers, watering your veggies, you're not watering the thing that's sitting on top of the ground, right? You know, you're watering what's underneath that soil. You're watering that root system. Um, And and that's one of the things that um, it's a balance you'll find that you need to strike even when knowing when to water, but we'll get to that. that. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a whole different one. But (laughs) so when you get your raised bed, then you decide like, do you want one raised bed? You know, and a lot of people will start with one, then they go to two and three and four and then a hundred. And I'm just joking about a hundred, but you know, like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like I have four raised beds right now. And one day I would like to put in more, but the one thing to think about is now how close together did we put our raised beds? And if you have grass in between, are you going to have paths, right? Well, I don't have paths in between my beds because that's just more for me to weed. I just have grass. So what I did is I spaced my raised beds two feet apart. And I did that for a specific reason. So I could get my push lawn mower through it one swipe in and out and done. 
-hmm. then I can get, I cut it a little bit lower there because it gets trampled down because I'm in that area more, but you got to need to think about that. And then you can define that space that way. Mm -hmm. And so by having that, you I was just going to add the, um, push line more so again that spacing is a, a really important consideration because generally once you put a bed down you don't want to move it unless you're building a new bed right you know so in addition to the lawnmower I use not uh, I use a little rolling cart as a garden cart and I make sure when I'm spacing out my garden beds that I can also get that cart through. And it's probably mm-hmm. a slightly different size than a lawnmower. It's not a wheelbarrow. That's not, I don't use that for my space, just based on the configuration. Um, but kind of think about as you're walking, you know, through the garden. There's one thing that I do, and this kind of helps me visualize it. So I have a space in mind for the garden bed. And you, I think you may have mentioned this, Ben. I mark it off. Right. So it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a blueprint of sorts. I will even if it's with buckets or bricks, like if it's going to be four by four or, you know, two by eight, let's use two by eight as an example. I will put a brick or bucket on each corner so I can visualize what that space really looks like. And if you're creating more than one bed, do that same thing for the next bed. And that gives you basically do I feel comfortable walking through this space you know clearly you can do some measurements and know you can get your lawnmower through but i think it helps with kind of that planning stage to make sure this is where you want these garden beds to be yeah and technically and see for me like the amount of space i have to add guards like i was thinking in the future is i don't want to I want, I, I technically, I wanted three feet in between, but then I was like, I don't want to chew up so much space that I can't get more in there. So I had to be very careful with that. And I mean, two feet is a good th- rule of thumb. I would say two and a half, you know, I use a wheelbarrow myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a good old country boy. And, you know, I, I get my wheelbarrow, my son gets in it and he holds the shovels. And then when we get there, I literally dump them out and say, okay. And, you know, and then we get to work, but it's, it's all about making it easy for yourself. And if you're constantly fighting it, then you're not going to do it. If it's always an issue, then you're simply not going to go out there and work in your garden and it's going to fall by the wayside and you're going to spend all of this time and effort. But we've, Okay, let me go back a little bit because we're kind of getting off track. We've got the raised bed. We've got the frame built. And now you need to add your soil. Mm-hmm. And I think Batavia can agree with me on this one is try and buy in bulk if possible. Meaning get a truckload of soil, do your measurements. Absolutely. And this is, and this is how you're going to figure out your measurement. I'm going to give you the magic formula for how many cubic feet of soil you need. It is length times width times depth, okay? Now that you have that, your depth is going to be, let's say, you're 10 inches, right? I do 0.9 feet as my measurement because I get a little bit extra, okay? And then that'll give me a little bit more soil to work with if I have it. And then you call your supplier and you say, I have... X amount of square of cubic feet of soil that I need. And then they will be able to tell you how many yards you need for that because then they give you a cubic yard measurement. And I just had to look this up the other day for myself. A cubic yard is 27 cubic feet. Mm -hmm. So once you do that, then you can have it. So it's length times width times depth and depth is going to be a decimal. Even if you have one and a half feet, it's going to be 1.5 feet and then that'll give you your that's your equation or you can do what i do and google you know soil calculator (laughs) and there's a (laughs) website that pops up where you enter exactly what ben is described you may see it described as instead of depth height but it's the same thing um so it's the length width and depth of the container the you know the raised bed that you've built um, and I absolutely can't recommend enough buying in bulk. Um, so if you're really thinking about two beds, but you're kind of nervous about whether or not you really 
can only manage one. I'm going to root for you to go for two because that gives you an opportunity to buy a bit more soil and probably save yourself a few dollars. And potentially you're only hauling soil back and forth once. And so there's always joy in that. And a lot of places, though, when you go up there, like they're used to like contractors coming that build houses and stuff like that. (laughs) But as a homeowner, like the place I've been to three places now and all of them will give you a trash can load of soil if you ask for it. (laughs) And they have a way to charge you for it. So don't think that you need to go up there and be like, oh, I need five yards of soil. And it doesn't work that way. You know, they, they were more than happy because they know that you need soil. I mean, that's, and a lot of places have specific soil for gardens. Mm -hmm. I actually last uh, year when I was expanding the garden, it did that exact thing. Um, So I think the basics that you need to know is the measurement of the space you're trying to fill. And once you have that, their resources, whether it's online, whether it's the place you're going to purchase from, you can call or go there, they'll be be able to help you out to get to the rest. Um, Right. And we don't want to make every recommendation a cautionary tale, but um, you want you don't want to overorder soil like I have done. <laughs> um, I have um, been I've done trying it too. to offload soil. I actually still have a little space in the back of my home that I piled up soil um, that was excess from last time, and that was just me trying to um, manage against. I'm looking, Ben can see me looking aside. There's a, I bought some house plants recently and there's a, a, it's not a regular bug. It looks spider-like and it's been crawling towards me and I'm trying to remain calm. (laughs) Is that what's going on? That's exactly what's going on. And so I saw him on the plant and now I'm watching him in the windowsill. I'm just going to go with, if he leaves, if I leave him alone, he'll leave me alone. All right. So anywho, um, you don't want to over order soil. Worst case scenario, if you do, you end up building more beds. And, you know, I'm I'm a fan of that. Or you can add it to your compost pile. You can put it in pots. You can do a lot of things with it. But don't try, don't get, you know, an extra yard of soil. I mean, you'd be up to your, literally up to your knees in soil. (laughs) But the other, so are you familiar with uh, vertical gardens, Batavia? I am. I do some vertical gardening here. Okay. So, so vertical, and I figured you did, uh-huh. but a vertical garden is not a different kind of gardening. It's a different type of gardening, right? Right. I can't let them, I can't leave them alone. You, All right. I'm going to turn my back to the, the spider that's <laughs> here. Um, so yeah, different style of gardening. So a different direction, right. if you will, right? Um, so I Literally. Have, yeah, right. So I have um, uh, cow panels, right? And I've created an arch in my front yard um, with those panels and I've used them to grow vertically. Um, A lot of things that um, have vines are really good for this. So I used them for cucumbers last year as well as beans last year and really good success with both of them. But what it does is allows me to increase the space that I can grow in, right? So not only do I have the beds, you know, obviously I'm putting the plant inside of the bed and then that plant is growing vertically it's climbing the thing that i've set for it to grow but i've also made um kind of piece together vertical gardening or spaces with other things i have in my yard right anything that can sit upright you can really kind of put together a panel of sorts that allows something to grow yeah i use tomato cages for uh, butternut squash Ah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've been trying to figure out if I could do that for zucchini. Uh, um, I've done it with zucchini, and the problem with that is it as it grows, it gets bunched up in it, and the airflow doesn't get through to the plant, and it causes powdery mildew to yeah, yeah. really kick up. So, And, I, I mean, do, is it real humid up there, or do you have, like, a dry heat? No, it's not exactly a dry heat, but it's not super humid. Not like yeah, what you guys so, are experiencing. Yeah, we get we get really humid weather here. So, you know, powdery mildew is going to happen. Yeah. And um, we just ha- it's a, a, f- a matter of managing it. And even when I was living up north and when I did the squash that way, because, you know, squash will take over a whole garden. That's exactly and, why um, I was trying to grow it. And, and when I say yeah. squash, I mean like summer squash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it was harder, but. I mean, let's be honest, when it comes to squash, I'm very frank about this. 
I don't like squash that much. And you get so many squash off one plant, it's ridiculous. And I can you can buy it at the store for like fifty cents a pound or something ridiculous. So it's actually pretty expensive by me, but you're exactly right. I don't like it that much, but it's so easy to grow. I don't have again, it's not as humid. I don't have that much trouble with powder powder powdery mildew here. So my squash plants, um, summer squash, they do pretty well. But it's exactly as you describe. I always have more than I can ever use, but I can't help myself, right? You know, I've only planted at most three uh, summer squash plants at a time because, again, they just produce so much. Um, So, yeah. And then we have – so that's vertical gardening, which is pretty simple. And then it's just a concept. And then you have square foot gardening, which is like vertical gardening. It's just a different way to garden. And – I have not done square foot gardening myself, but as I was doing interviews for um, the documentary, uh, the gentleman who owns uh, Pender Pines, which is a garden center by my house, he exclusively does um, square foot gardening and swears by it. And all it is, is you grow things per square foot, one plant per square foot. Yeah, so I have done square foot gardening and kind of my opinion on this, eh, you know, so I, I haven't, um, I like it because it speaks to my sense of order and which is kind of crazy when you think about a garden where you think about soil, like, um, but I like the look of it. Um, I do think it's very helpful early on to kind of keep yourself organized and not overplant. There are all kinds of resources online that kind of tell you exactly, you know, what plants do well. The theory is anything could be grown in a square foot. That's the theory, yeah. right? Um, and there's some plants that you can actually put multiple plants, depending on what it is. If it's super small, like, you know, if it's not for radishes or something. Yeah, exactly. Radishes is a good, a good example. Um, so, I I like the look of it. Um, I still use it. So I still use it in, in some of my backyard gardens uh, space as well. But I don't know that my garden in general has been more successful. It's just given me kind of a method to follow, you know, kind of put some order, if you will, to my planting. So that's yeah. the benefit that I see from it. And the way, you, the way you set it up is you literally measure out a grid. Mm-hmm. And every foot going length and width wise, you put like you could put a piece of wood or a string even. Yeah. And then you just mark a grid pattern and then you can work out of it. And I do no. want to add um, totally off subject. But when you were like, oh, in my backyard gardens, I wanted to be like, oh, she said the title. <laughs> you know how they do in the movies? <laughs> That was an intentional plug. Uh, no, yeah. it's no, no, natural, no. Right? It just, no, it was it, like when you watch a movie and then they say the title of the movie somewhere in the movie. Like we yeah. always look for it. Little Easter egg, yeah. Um, so I, so being specific about the square foot garden. So I do that exact grid that he's describing. Um, I every twelve inches or every foot, because in this area the beds are wood. I would just lightly nail an actual nail there to mark off this is 12 this is 12 this is 12 again this is a foot this is a foot this is a foot so i do that on either side of the bed both sides and uh the first year i kind of eyeballed it but i found that my eyeballs aren't that great when it comes to measuring so the second year i used the nail system and just ran the string across creating that grid and you can this isn't something that you need to go back and and pull out you can leave that there the veggies will grow in between and around it just as they need to um but again it it helps you especially if you're new to gardening and maybe i know that there's some people like the gentleman that you mentioned are longtime gardeners that use it and it's a way to kind of effectively pack in veggies but i know some people also use it as a brand new gardener because again it kind of helps guide you to know what to put where you know right yeah and i think that's a good a good point is in the beginning if it was in a perfect world i would say in the first year do us do a little test plan it however you want mm-hmm. without the square foot garden and then do the square foot garden and see how much you get but we all know that most people aren't going to do that yeah but that would be a good test to see is how much more productive could you be and to be quite honest, I could probably benefit from doing square foot gardening. I just, 
haven't done it. You know what? Maybe I'll do a bed this year in square foot. I think I will. You guys have four and you're, are you adding, did you say you're adding? No. Oh Lord. No, I'm not adding (laughs) anything else. But so you have four, so you can dedicate one bed to square foot gardening, right? I'm going to dedicate half of them to square foot gardening. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it for everybody else. (laughs) I am going to do it for everybody else as I'm going to try it and I'm going to, I'm going to test it out and see. And what I'll probably do is I won't uh, mark the string, but I'll probably somehow, you know, maybe lay a stick down or something and just, you know, eyeball it. Yeah. Real quick. The things, um, the little pieces of wood that you may use to help, uh, keep a plant upright. I've used those, right? So over the years you end up collecting things. So I've used those. I've even used, (laughs) Uh, old broomsticks at one point to mark yeah. off the, the the beds. Um, so again, it's all about, and we did the last um, episode regarding cost savings. If you can repurpose something you have, absolutely do it. Oh, I'm famous for that. But that's, um, that's definitely something that I think, you know, cause I'm always interested in trying something new and seeing what's going on. And, you know, it's, it's tricky to do these things, but I, I want to be able to point people in the right direction. But, uh in closing, because I think we've all done, we've covered pretty much all types, not all types, but the big types, right, Batavia? That's right. So I, th- I think, what is your recommendation for somebody that's starting out? What, what kind of garden do you recommend somebody? It doesn't matter where they live or anything. Hmm. Let's say they had all the space in the world. What would you recommend? Um, can I give two recommendations? No, you can only <laughs> give one. Oh, good grief. <laughs> Um, So for someone that's just starting out, I'd say container gardening with a caveat of a really big container, right? So you may only be growing one or two things, but that allows you to keep track of it. Um, I think that that's going to be the least expense up front, the least work, um, and probably a really good reward. So that was what I was going to say. My final answer is going to be container as well, especially for somebody who might be a little timid about it and not really want to dive in. I think that it's good because at the end of it, they don't have anything but a flower pot or, Mm -hmm. you know, a big pot with some soil. They can, you can always dump the soil out in your yard somewhere if you decided for some ungodly reason that you didn't want to garden anymore. I mean, you know, but I can't imagine it, but yeah, I guess there are people out there that are like that. (laughs) Well, you know, if they decide it's too much work or anything, but I think it's easy because you have one container and you can plant one plant and then you only have to worry about one thing Mm. instead of this whole garden bed. And you're like, oh, I've got to weed it. Da, 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 da. You know, I think it's a really good starting point. And remember, if you get a big and, and I'm going to go even farther. I'm going to say I recommend an herb garden mm-hmm. in a container, meaning plant your oregano, put your basil and your thyme and your rosemary all in one big pot mm-hmm. and have this entire thing just for your herbs. And that way you get it all. You know, you've got every all your bases covered for my beginner recommendations. Yeah. And I'm going to add to that. We're going to build on this beginner recommendation. If possible, keep it close to a door of your home. Right. So the closer that is to you, the more likely it, it is that you'll actually care for it. And, you know, take advantage of some of those herbs that you're growing. Yeah. Especially for an herb garden, because... <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I'll be in there cooking and be like, I need some rosemary. Let me go outside. But if I had, so the way my garden's set up is I have my back porch and then I have my entire septic system. And then I have to go all the way back to my gardens, but I keep my herbs close to my house because then I can just go out and snip a couple real quick and use them. And that's a big, big tip is keep it close. Cause you know, in my whole filmmaking career and everything that I've done, I've realized that keeping things as simple as possible for yourself and convenient. And when I say convenient, I don't mean like, oh, like convenience store, like super cheap stuff. But think about what you're doing. And if something's difficult, try and make it easier for yourself. Set it up somewhere. You know, if you have to if you have a favorite glass, you don't put it on the very top shelf where you can never reach it. Mm -hmm. You always put it down, you know, where you can grab it. Because as we all know, like in your kitchen and your cabinets and stuff, everything up top or down below, 
there is a less chance you're going to use it. And it's the same for your garden. Yeah. I have a, a friend that um, it with the work that we do, there's always the reminder of make the list short. Long lists don't get done, right? People yeah. feel accomplished by creating long lists, but those things don't get done. So right. make the list short, make it something that's manageable, right? You know, so I'm, again, I'm a big fan of putting that garden, that container as close, it's reasonable to where you're exiting and entering every day. I think it's a kitchen garden is what they refer to it. You know, that garden that's right outside your kitchen door, you know, much easier for you to use. So uh, that's probably one of the biggest, the biggest lessons I've learned when it comes to gardening. Um, now, I will say to go back to beginner gardens, and I am not sponsored by these people yet. Hopefully one day I could be because I'm really like a proponent of these is the arrow garden. Oh, tell us about, are you going to tell us about that today or is this a teaser? Oh, no, this is no teaser. So the arrow garden and, uh, you know, my family uh, uses them and I know a bunch of people that do, but it's just a hydroponic system that goes into your house that is all in one. I mean, you get the seed pods and you put it in and it does everything, but and they have multiple sizes and I don't have one. They're kind of expensive, but I've noticed since I've been really considering getting one that they run specials all the time <laughs> and you can get them to where they have, they have like a whole herb garden one. You can grow little tomatoes right inside your house. And, um, I'm a very big proponent of that because you're growing food. It's made as easy as possible for you and it's available to you and you're growing it in your house. So you're 100% going to use it because there's stuff that goes in my garden that sometimes I just don't get around to harvesting and I don't use because, you know, especially like late in the season, I'm like, Oh, it's just one tomato. I'm not going to worry about it or something like that. You know, or I had like one broccoli plant out there and I was like, well, what's one head of broccoli going to do for me? So I just let it go to seed. But if you're doing it in the house, like I'm a very big proponent of that and there is cost involved in that. But, that being said, and if you buy one, tell them that Backyard Garden sent you. Let's do this because I I agree with it. I think it's a great thing for people to do. And I mean, it's kind of, if you think about it in the aspect of like your hardcore gardeners, you know, they're, oh, well, that's cheesy. And, you know, that's not really gardening. But like the way I look at it, and I'm pretty sure Batavia does too, is it's growing food and that's all there is to it. There's nothing different about anything. It's all you're doing is growing food. Yeah. Ben sees me nodding my head. I couldn't agree more. The core of what we're trying to do is grow food. And we're talking about different options that you can use to grow food, plainly put. Right. So, so awesome. So that is everything you need to know about starting a garden that gives you ideas of what garden to start, how to start them, the steps to go. And then, I mean, you're going to need to do some research. You know, we obviously don't have the time to sit here and literally give you a step-by-step plan, but you kind of know what to do. And it's, I would say it's common sense when it's like pull up the weeds and, you know, but laying the cardboard down and and bringing in soil and all that stuff. You know, if you want to double dig, let me know if you double dig. Kudos to you. I'll send you a free pack of seeds if you double dig just because you are special because that's a lot of work. But and and that's really good for potatoes, by the way, to loosen up the soil. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But um, so now we have something special. We have a person that's going to give us a recipe that's never oh, actually you did give us a recipe when you were a guest. But yeah, I did. Batavia's I did. first recipe as a co-host of the Backyard Garden Show. All right. So the first time I gave a recipe, I was on the spot and I didn't know that I was giving one. So (laughs) I'll be a little bit more thorough since I've had time to prepare. Um, So what we try to do is focus on things that are in season. And while I'm not growing it in my backyard garden, some people are and of course whatever we talk about here for recipes if you don't have it in your garden go out to the store and buy it Um, so what I'm going to talk about today for the recipe short and simple buffalo cauliflower Um, and I'm not a fan of substituting cauliflower for everything but this is actually a really close treat 
it puts you in the mind of, you know, kind of buffalo chicken. Um, so it's a great vegetarian recipe or alternative. A uh, handful of ingredients are involved. So you're going to start with a head of cauliflower. And you're going to cut those into florets. So I've, when I've made it, I've used the entire head. And depending on how many people you're feeding, you may want to buy multiples. Um, and so the glory of this, while it's not the healthiest recipe with some of the things that we'll add, um, it is a much lighter version than what you may get in some fast food restaurant. Um, but you're going to start off with the florets, the cut up pieces of cauliflower. Um, you're going to need some all-purpose flour. Um, we're going to add a couple of spices like paprika. We're going to add some garlic powder. And I'm thinking maybe a teaspoon of each, depending on your taste buds, maybe a teaspoon of uh, salt, and this is probably to roughly a cup of flour. Um, then you're going to add a little bit of pepper there, pepper to taste, and you're actually going to, within this mixture, add some milk or a milk alternative. And so I'd use about three-fourths cup of milk, and that's going to create kind of this gooey consistency. And what you're really going to do there is you're going to coat those florets of cauliflower in that mixture. And so this is almost a two-step process. Once you've coated them, you're going to put them in your preheated oven. We're going to preheat the oven to about 450 degrees. The key here, and you'll find this in roasting vegetables as well, make sure that all of the veggies, the florets of cauliflower are separated on your pan. Um, I use either a kind of baking sheet with um, either aluminum foil or um, uh, some parchment paper, so you want, and that's just easy for cleanup. So you want to make sure you separate all of the kind of gooey cauliflower, and then you're going to bake that for 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how hot your 450 degrees Fahrenheit is. Uh, so then you'll take that out, and then that's when you're going to actually create and use your buffalo mixture. Um, so. Any buffalo sauce or hot sauce is fine. If you've made your own, awesome, with the peppers that you grew in your garden. If you didn't, go ahead and use the regular store-bought brand. I actually have used Frank's quite a bit, hot sauce. Um, so about a fourth a cup of hot sauce, and then you can add, if you want to make it a little bit gooier, a bit of honey. Uh, if you're not wanting to consume honey, that's fine. But what you're going to do with that mixture is basically double coat. You're going to add the florets that have already baked for about 20 minutes to that kind of hot sauce mixture, put them back on the baking sheet, and then bake them. And this is where we're trying to get them a little bit more crisp for about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, that all in all isn't terrible from a health perspective, but this is where the good stuff comes in. Then you're gonna find your favorite dipping sauce. So, you know, whether it's blue cheese or ranch or something in between, um, they're really, really tasty, a little bit spicy, uh, interesting texture enough bites of goodness, I call them. So that is buffalo cauliflower or buffalo cauliflower bites. Oh, one quick note, one quick note. Go ahead. I don't have an air fryer. It's on my goal list. If I reach a couple of my goals this year, I'll treat myself to buy one. Um, but I have a buddy that says they're as crispy as any piece of chicken that's fried is using an air fryer. It's a little bit more tender being baked, um, but I've enjoyed them just fine using the oven to bake them. So I'm going to give you two things. I'm, I'm going to add on to that for a dipping sauce I just thought of in my head. Um, I'm going to assume that everybody has taken my advice and they have an herb garden and you go out to your little herbs and you get you some dill that mm -hmm. you've grown and you just get some sour cream and you put the dill in it and then you've got your dip, you know, maybe a little bit of garlic powder or something. And then the other thing I'm going to say is I had an air fryer and mm -hmm. I loved it mm -hmm. and it was a hundred dollars and within one year it broke. No. And they wouldn't replace it. So me and air fryers, we're broken up. We are getting a divorce. We're done. I know more air fryer for me, but it was great. It was the greatest thing ever. Everything came out really crispy, but I can't afford to be replacing something that breaks every year. You know what I mean? Yeah, so the pause that I have we're, is we're it's back. a single... It's a single use appliance and, you know, I don't have that much counter space or even cabinet space anymore. So I struggle with adding it to uh, my arsenal. And that's what we do, too. If we can't use it in multiple ways, we don't. But because I mean, I love man, I'm from North Carolina. I love fried food. <laughs> but 
I also have the health of loving fried food for my entire life. So, you know, the past 10 years I haven't eaten it and I can't really fry it, but the, the air fryer is great. But just so you know, I think there's a little bit of quality control issues because we actually, but I don't remember what brand we bought, but it was a higher, it was like a, a real brand. It wasn't like a knockoff or anything, but so be it. If you guys get them, I hope you do. But me and air fryers are broken up. That, you know, I'm learning that that list gets, I think it's going to get a bit long, the anti-insert. Uh, but remember, this recipe was really designed for uh, baking in the oven. So we yeah. don't have to worry about, um, you know, doing the dance with an air fryer if you don't want to. <laughs> and I hate cauliflower, but I love cauliflower buffalo wings. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I just, I never can get on the cauliflower, like cauliflower rice and all that. It just tastes like cauliflower. Yeah, yeah. It's really no well, different. Well, you know, I've, I'll, I've made it cauliflower rice a few times, and uh, they even sell it packaged now in the frozen food section. And um, I don't eat a lot of rice, but when I want rice, like I don't want a burrito bowl with cauliflower rice. But right. that's me, right? You know, so. That's how I am. But so that there you go. You got a great recipe. You got to add on recipe. And now you know how to build your beds. What else can you ask for? <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening uh you can check us out at backyard gardens the movie um facebook instagram everywhere else uh websites backyardgardensmovie.com youtube backyard gardens the movie check out batavia's uh youtube uh be better gardens she's kicking things up now i think she's been a little bit inspired to kind of take things to another level so Absolutely. we're going to be working on that and you know, show us some love and share it to your friends. And until next time, we will catch you guys later. So if you have any questions or want to know what we've been up to, you can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. It's Backyard Gardens, the movie. And on Facebook, we also have a group. It's called Backyard Gardens. We have a website, backyardgardensthemovie.com. You can sign up there for an email to get updates about production and release dates for our movie. And give us a like and a review on iTunes or in your favorite services because it'll really help us reach more people because we want to help everybody learn to grow and grow for change. Cut. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time. All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in.